Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We had an incredible week with the last podcast and we're thrilled to have blasted past our YouTube subscriber goal of 250. Our next stop is 500. So again, thanks to everybody uh, who's followed us so far. If you like what we do, please like, comment and share a link um, to the pod with your friends. It really helps the algorithm find us. A reminder that we have an audio only bonus pod that you can find on Spotify or Apple, the Friday Breakfast Show. Uh, at 15 minutes, it's a great way to start your a Friday morning commute and tee up your weekend of rugby. We cover the midweek news results and give you your TV guide for the weekend ahead so you can catch all the rugby that you love. So with the promos out of the way, mate, what was your rugby moment of the week? It had to have been Angus Bell. Have you seen this clip of him? Yeah, like actually, Angus I Bell, yeah, in in his in playing for the Barbarians, made one of his textbook breaks a couple of uh, sidesteps in there and yeah, put a little beautiful grubber through. Um, I don't know how he had the time, the space <laughs> and the foresight to, to, to do it, all of it, but it was absolutely brilliant and set up a score. Um, and I just thought it was, yeah, my definitely my moment of the week. Um, I love seeing a prop in action like that, do something yeah. a bit out of the ordinary and something he definitely wouldn't have got away with um, playing for Australia under Eddie Jones. <laughs> no, just to I caveat mean... that. I think uh, 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 Andrew Ford has got a compilation of props doing like line breaks and things. It's, it's so beautiful and they, they always look so excited. But what was with the referee spending like five minutes doing a TMO check for the offside yeah. for the try? It's like, it's a Barbar's game, mate. Get, just come on, just just give it, give the try. Like no no one's that upset. If Wales had lost that game, which I thought they had a good chance of because that Barbarian's pack was ridiculous. Um, if like just let it just let it go who cares just go for it man uh so yeah i completely love that one yeah that had to be mine what about yourself so i was uh enjoying myself down at parker scarlet's at the weekend i got to go down uh, it's about three hour three hour drive for me but it was well worth it down to the park to see the derby between scarlet's and cardiff and i was documenting it on twitter and putting up little updates and things as i was going and there's the full vlog now over on the rap YouTube channel, which there'll be a link in description below. And yeah, uh, when I got there, there was a, a lady hanging, handing out flags and things and her colleague as well. And they painted the red dragon on my face. And uh, Big M, who I was with, who I did the Scarlet's pod with, said, can you give this guy uh, a flag? And the lady who was handing out the flags said, I know who you are. So that's my first time ever being recognised as a, as a, I don't know, a, a Twitter person. A rugby person. A rugby <laughs> person. And she was like, you're the guy who's doing the thread. And I was like, yes. And she's like, welcome. And she made me feel really welcome. She gave me a flag and she took a photo of me and things and posted it on the Scarlet supporters page and things. So that was lovely. So thank you, Helen. And thank you to all your team. You clearly work extremely hard making fans experiences at the game really good and the the you know for all of the doom and gloom of parker scarlet's it's a really nice facility that they've got there it's not massive it looks bigger on tv than it feels in real life but it's really it's in good nick it's all very neat and tidy it's not run down in any way um that sounds like i'm damning it with faint praise no it's really nice and it's had loads of re you can tell they spend money on it regularly which is mm. nice um so yeah, so that that was my moment of the week, just being a little bit a little bit of imposter syndrome, just kind of like, oh come on guys, you know it's just I'm only here to see a game, don't don't fuss, you know. But it was nice. So. <laughs> but I think just touching on the stadium, I think it is an important point. Like I know when the Scarlets were doing well a couple of seasons ago, they would get big crowds in there, and it's just nice to see rugby played in, in a in a purpose-built stadium for rugby like I, I think it can be frustrating sometimes watching teams play like especially the lines and um, what well, we all know that they used to get huge crowds but for whatever reason 
probably because their performance is on the field. They don't get big crowds anymore. And it's really, there's no atmosphere when they're playing at such a, a big stadium like that. So it, like, it's good to see that the Scarlets have that. Now I know like it wasn't anywhere near a setout, right? But it was still, there was still a good crowd there, right? And and when they're doing well, you can really build that atmosphere in such a, in such close quarters, right? There was, yeah, it's absolutely right. So the, the official attendance was like 6,300, which, it, you know, is not, huge but you have to remember a lot of context around it about how there was a wales game happening in cardiff effectively at the same time which was a, a big distraction and we I, I was surprised at the gate that wales got for the barbars game i thought it was going to be quite poor but it was still still fifty thousand turned up for it which yeah. is very nearly the capacity of the aviva isn't it so yeah that that kind of tells you even in these circumstances just how how big the rugby audience in wales is but yeah for the for the derby uh yeah 6300 i think is a good crowd you have to remember people are a bit rugby fatigued as well after yeah. the world cup and if you've spent you know someone challenged me on twitter when i pointed that out and they're like oh surely people should be more into rugby now because of the world cup and i'm like well you know say you're the only rugby watcher in your household and you've explained to your family or your other half whoever it is why you've got to watch four rugby matches a weekend for two months and then you just go oh, that's finished now i'm just going to head out and go to a rugby match now how some people might feel they might not be able to do that but it was it was a nice crowd and i, I the scarlets are a great example of when the team's doing well the, the crowds do come i think that's a, a um it's not just a purely welsh fan thing but speaking to some of the people around the game in wales there are more fans than the attendances suggest. It, there are just, they, I don't know how to phrase this in a correct way. When the teams are doing well, they do come out and they do buy the merch and spend the money in things. It's just, you have to give fans a reason to get excited. And I don't, I don't blame or criticize fans at all for that. I think that's completely fair. You know, sport is a hobby. And if you're not enjoying it, you're under no obligation, in my opinion, to continue doing it regardless spending money particularly on fuel and things so but yeah it, it was it was a nice experience and it was good for me to be there and take it in and just on those attendance figures like it, for me it was such a such a strange scenario this weekend with the ospreys taking on the sharks in london um, the Welsh national team playing the babas and then there was still a derby game between scarlets obviously and, and cardiff um, but yeah, I'm just, just kind of, I guess my, my, my question is just in terms of those attendance figures, there was a lot of controversy over the Sharks figure. Apparently, you know, there, there were some suggestions that it was quite a big figure, but then anybody at the game certainly said that the, the figures are way off. Do you know if they're including, um, season ticket holders in those attendance figures still? I know that was definitely a thing, um, with the previous uh, with the ORC it, when it was in its uh, previous iterations or whatever I don't know if like do you have any idea if if season ticket so, holders are still factored into those figures so I've heard people say that yes it, um, match day attendances do include season ticket holders whether they turn up or not uh, apparently that's what Rodney Parade still do I don't know whether that's what everywhere still does I, I don't know whether this game would be an exception because it, uh, although it was an Ospreys home game, it wasn't in Swansea. So to, yeah. to just count the season ticket holders. So Twickenham Stoop, I think the capacity is about 15,000 and apparently the attendance was 7,100, which looked yeah, about right. right for what you could see on telly. Mm -hmm. um, I did have a very quick exchange with a Sharks fan on Twitter and he said it was a great night out. So... Yeah, um, I, I I think you could call that experiment a qualified success, probably. Mm. I think so. Yeah, and they're trying. Look, they're trying something different as well. Um, and we can talk about uh, that particular game in a little bit. But I just, I guess, I wanted what I wanted to move on and to at the moment is something we, you know, as podcasters, are we podcasters now? I guess. Wait, well, if we do a podcast, we can call us as podcasters <laughs> now, but. Um, Squidge, obviously, we're, like that's the big story of the week. His his massive. I think he did a forty plus minute um, analysis of the World Cup final, and it's been the copyright police have been out and they've taken down his video as of time of recording here on the seventh of November at nine o'clock. 
what's what's your take on this? Like, are, is it rugby shooting itself in the foot again, or can you see it from the broad, broadcaster's perspective? Or what's your take on this whole situation? That's definitely been the reaction from the fans, isn't it? Is um, broadcasters or rugby shooting itself in the foot? It's definitely a, a two fingers up to rugby fans. So obviously, Squidge has been someone who has been very proactive in growing the game and introducing it to new audiences and using I, I was going to call it new media there but you can't really call it new anymore it, to to help people enjoy the game more and I know a lot of people were really looking forward to his video apparently in the time that it was up it took um, a lot of views and obviously yeah, we know from our last week that there's a lot of South African fans that are really reveling in their World Cup victory which absolutely they should so we've benefited massively from that boost in views. And I'm sure that video would have done huge bits for Squidge. And also on a personal point of view, the amount of time and effort I know he would have put into that, uh, he that must be really galling. And I, I'm sure he would have had, because all World Cup, he's not been able to use footage. And then for this game, he did use footage. And I'm sure he would have had a nod from someone to say that he could yeah. use footage. And then they've gone back on that, which is disappointing. And all the fans are really upset. And I think that the anger comes as much from of World Rugby. You're not doing any of this yourself. So why are you trying to stop someone else doing it? And apparently Squidge has said that it is someone from World Rugby themselves rather than like ITV or a broadcaster or whoever who's claimed it. Apparently it's World Rugby themselves. Now, World Rugby are in bed with the broadcaster. They've obviously got Rugby Pass TV. And they have a a relationship with Sky, with through Sky New Zealand, which is how the whole Rugby Pass TV thing came about. So what you've worked in the industry, mate? You, you worked for, I think it was Sky you used to work for. So from a broadcaster's point of view, where do you think they're coming at it from? Are they just attacking a little guy just because they can? Are they that greedy, or do you think, I don't know? Can you? Is it all about the spreadsheets at the end of the day? I think you you could be right because like there there are always two sides to these things right and look we're both massive rugby fans we're both big squidge rugby fans we we know the value of his content I want his content up there you want his content up there but I guess just looking at it from the other perspective you know these broadcasters pay enormous sums of money and uh, for the rights to absolutely everything for it like they pay like some broadcasters just go pay massive sums of money just for highlights. Other broadcasters go for highlights plus games, or they just go for games. So we all we know that, and and especially with the World Cup as well, there were so many different broadcasters in so many different territories. But what my take from the whole clip thing and the the of sh- uh, the whole situation regarding sharing World Cup clips was it, it was based on territory. So like if you obviously whenever like you for example shared a clip or anybody in the UK shared a clip from ITV, I couldn't watch it in the Republic of Ireland, and that made sense because. ITV didn't have the rights to broadcast it here. RTE and Virgin Media did, so that kind that kind of made sense, uh, and that's standard, like that's normal. Um, like if if you share a URC uh, clip from Viaplay, I usually can't watch it, um, and that to me makes sense. I shouldn't be able to watch it because Premier Sports and all the other broadcasters in Ireland who who have paid for those rights have played for exclusivity, and that that kind of makes sense. Now you can obviously there's still that argument that that doesn't help growing the game, but from a broadcast perspective broadcaster's perspective you can obviously see why they wouldn't be happy with that um when you think about the the money involved but yeah i i just think especially with this one like and because as you mentioned he went down the video route he obviously had permission from one of the broadcasters and i think he might work with stan um sports i I think i've seen some of his videos before and there have been a couple of clips um from them so i wonder like did he get permission from one of them and then maybe a uk broadcaster has made a complaint or as suggested by him is it somebody from world rugby going no you have to if you're going to broadcast this in the uk or anywhere outside of australia you know you, you need to have the, the right i'm not sure it's really strange jim hamilton um who is involved with rugby pass tv and where rugby he did kind of put out a tweet and like obviously he was poking fun at it but he did suggest like you know blame ai for this Um, like is it just was it just some like was it AI that just picked up this clip that shouldn't have been shared without 
permission or whatnot. I I, I really don't know, but I just yeah. from a broad broadcaster's perspective, it it does make sense. But again, it's just rugby shooting itself in the foot. Like we we need to grow the sport. We need more young people watching it. Young people watch YouTube. Squidge does a great job. Um, so it, it's frustrating, but there there is there is a different take on this uh, from the broadca- broadcaster's perspective. But yeah, it, it, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, uh, some people have thrown out: should there be a bro- a content creators clause in the broadcast um, rights deal? Is that something that exists? Is is that something that there's a precedent in other sports? Because I'm thinking about football in the UK, where I can I can think of one, maybe two YouTube channels which have access to use the actual footage from the games, and huge platforms like the Athletic, for example, don't have access rights to the video and I can think of you know Formula One is another example where creators don't have access to use the footage um so it is are we are we holding rugby to a different standard or are there sports out there that do allow creators to use footage I think there are I think especially the NBA now I just don't understand I don't know enough about the agreements that the the formal agreements that have in place but I know the NBA is definitely a sport and um, where content creators do get access to it um, and they can share on social media a lot more. But you're dead right. Like this could like I know it sounds like, um, you know, and, and we, I know we touched on this when we, we spoke about the new World League. And um, but I did listen to to Jim Hamilton's take on this. And he did say, you know, who voted on that? It's the big and, and Andy Goo. They said who voted on that was the, were the Six Nations countries and the Sanzar countries like it wasn't necessarily world rugby saying like it's not as if world rugby like we don't want promotion and relegation it's obviously the you know the the home nations voting for their best interests you know do they want promotion and relegation I don't know they want to maximize their revenues and everything and um, so I just don't know like if if this was more a broadcaster a broadcaster complaint um, or yeah maybe just the way where rugby sold their rights and um, for this particular world cup and maybe this was a clause that that all of the broadcasters were like, no, if, if you know, if somebody's going to share a clip um, in our region, it has to be from us, directly from us, um, which is which is disappointing, um, certainly. But yeah, the, the money, yeah, there's money behind all of this, isn't there? And yeah. but apparently, we will give a shout out to the ORC. They've they've been very generous, um, according to a good few content creators that I've seen on on Twitter with with their with their rights, um, but. Well, we we both know the RC is the best league, so we're not surprised yeah. there, are we? But um, yeah, well, it, it, this this squish thing, it's definitely it's 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 frustrating. Um, but you'd wonder, is this World Rugby's fault or is this the broadcaster's fault? Like it, like that 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 that's the question for me. Uh, I'm sure World Rugby want to bloody well grow the game, especially with with everything that's going on, and there will be potentially in crisis in in, in certain parts of the world. Yeah. Anyway, you mentioned URC best league there, so why don't we jump into that then and talk about things that make us happy? Beautiful segue. So I I'll go first this week because uh, you went first last week. So Welsh regions. So I was at the derby between Cardiff and Scarlets, played in Parker Scarlets. Scarlets came out f- uh, with a win, a win that I think we badly needed because I think if we hadn't won this, it would have really looked like we'd have been wondering where our next win is coming from. Uh, I like to jump into the stats and things, and I did a, a deeper dive on the, on the Scarlets pod. But I feel like the prediction that I made before the game was that I looked at the two team sheets and Scarlets had Gareth Davis and Vera Fafita back in the team. And I looked at it and I thought, those two are head and shoulders better than any other player on either side. So they should be enough for us to win it. And that that proved to be the case. So Vafita were... Um, was our made of the most meters of any Scarlets player. Gareth Davis got a try and two try assists and uh, ran the game. He was on for the full 80. Fafita also was big in the lineup for us, was our biggest lineout taker. So it kind of came true that the difference between the two sides was those two players. That the underlying numbers for the Scarlets, if you look on, on the stats, depending on which stats website you use which is something i'll talk about on twitter tomorrow uh the the scarlet still had some underlying issues which is still present from the previous games like speed of ball from the rockets things like that where if you look at the stats cardiff had the better of the game in some areas it's one of those things where 
the stats can lie because I was in the stadium watching the game and in the second half, the Scarlets were the only team in it for most of it, to be honest. And there was a bit of niggle around the scrums as well where Cardiff were getting really rewarded in the scrums, but it's a it's debatable. Some people didn't like the referee's interpretation. I'm a Scarlets fan, so I have my incredibly biased opinion on that. And I think I'm right, but there you go. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, important win for the Scarlets. I don't think it's the end of the world for Cardiff. And yeah, the Lions next up for the Scarlets at home. Lions we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit about that match with Benison, but that is not an easy game as the table suggests. So yeah, they're just happy to get five points on the board, really. And it's a bit of a monkey off the back of the team. So I think the question now is, for Dwayne Peel, the head coach, he's going to have a load of Welsh players back available. Sadly, Sam Costello is now out, which is a big shame. But will Dwayne be able to resist the urge of throwing all of the Scarlet's internationals back into the team and kind of taking away the momentum that some of the young kids have got now who have been playing? Like We've had got 21, 22, 23-year-olds in the team I think to rip them out of the team at this point now is, isn't is necessarily going to do anyone any favours. Anyway, speaking of teams that are going to get their internationals back, apparently one team who, who is going to play their internationals again will be the Ospreys. So they were in London. So our first ever podcast was reacting to the news that the Ospreys were going to play this match in London. That happened on Friday. They beat the Sharks. Uh, I think it was... 20 points to five. I can't remember. Check in the background for me, will you? It's um, it scored three tries to one. The uh, Sharks scored first, but then the, it was a it was offensive masterclass from the Ospreys. They kind of scored their three tries a bit by accident, which I had a bit of fun poking at some Ospreys fans on Twitter, where one try where Owen, oh, they were down in the uh, Sharks on their on their try line a couple of times and they just couldn't find a way over and then Owen Williams throws a bad pass to Walsh which the defender overreads and then Walsh all he has to do is flop over the line and then another try was a charge down kick that Max Nagy picked up and rang the length and then uh, the final try that they scored was Kieran Williams grounding a try that a Sharks player failed to ground over his try line that bubbled free and he just tapped it down so Osprey still not the best attacking team to watch in the world, but I still stand by what my prediction was of they will be the strongest Welsh team this year and they've already started getting multiple points on the board. So for me, they're performing as they should. Sharks, not a great start to the season, unfortunately. Yeah. I think they're they're winless so far, but they have yeah. been on tour. So And we know South African teams can vary a bit on tour and obviously they've not had all their big stars back. So there is that kind of context to, to give to it. And then there's the Dragons who, you know, I won't lie. This was on at the same time as Scarlet's Cardiff. And I wasn't in a rush to look up the highlights of this one. It was quite a predictable scoreline. It was respectable at halftime, 17 points to seven. And apparently the Dragons two tries were good. And apparently they did have some bright spells in the game. But, you know, it's Dragons away at, monster it went as you would expect from a dragon's point of view they obviously were they were missing a lot of forwards their backline i actually thought was pretty close to their first choice backline they moved steph hughes to inside center which i think is his best position and probably they were rio dyer away and maybe maybe a fullback here or there away from their best team although they had angus o'brien at fullback and i think that's his best position but apart from that you know it, it was pretty as expected um Sure, from the Irish point of view, mate, Munster would have got what they expected out of that game. Yeah, it was a much improved performance compared to their their last outing against Benetton. On the negative side, though, it looks like Carberry's picked up yet another injury. So there's a bit of a, a problem there for, for Munster at 10. Um, so I read today that Carberry's going to be out for a couple of months, uh, which is a massive, massive setback for him because we all know the sto- his story from last season, how he's bounced back at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, I think they might be in a bit of trouble there at 10. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if they, if they, if they have, to, have to get in cover or, or not. Um, 
but yeah, that that was definitely one of the negatives. But look, they they got back to winning ways. Can't uh, speak about this ma- uh, match and not mention Calvin Nash. He was absolutely excellent. He's been good now, um, for for a couple of seasons. Like he's he's really finding good form as well this season. Um, it looks like Snayman as well has picked up an injury. Um, that he's, was he's had surgery after the World Cup. So I think yeah. it was one of those cases where he was putting it off until after the World Cup, and apparently now he's going to be off for a while. Yeah, yeah. So that that's really so. Those two guys out, and it, there's obviously a rumor floating around as well that Jean Klein, um, may be recruited to the. I know Kalon's defended this, um, and he's saying that it's like he's been offered a good contract by Munster, but yeah, he's been touted that he, he was potentially leaving Munster, um, at the end of the this current season and going to the top fourteen. So it'll be interesting to see because he's obviously now um, an NIQ and on Irish qualified player. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, if Munster can hold on to him. I think he will be a massive loss. Um, but look, let's not get too negative. I think it was a good Munster performance. Um, I love when they play in Cork in, in Musgrave Park. They always seem to get a really good crowd in. Um, so I think that that was that was a good positive. And look, they're, they're playing an exciting brand. Like they seem to, of rugby, they seem to have picked up where they left off last season. Um, so yeah, I think Munster are, are, are on the track, are on track to, to have a good season. Um and let's move on then to the other kind of big game. The big game of the weekend for me really was was Connacht um, v Ulster. Um, that was, I think it was, yeah, 7.35 kickoff on Saturday evening. And yeah, it looks like, yeah, Connacht are the only team now uh, with three wins from three games. They're sitting top of the, uh, the URC, which is a lovely sight for oh, me. As oh, audio fan. listeners, Kaylin is, uh, not Kaylin, sorry, mate. And Ender is smiling his head off. So much so that I'm worried his head is going to fold in on itself. Well, this might be the only time I get to smile like this, so I'll enjoy <laughs> it while it lasts. Um, but I'll have to say, yeah, Connacht, Connacht were kind of they they didn't play well for about 50, 55 minutes. Um, at one stage, they were 17 points to three down. Um, but fair play to them, they they came back. Um, and they put in a, a strong last. Last 30 minutes, last 25 minutes, which is really promising. Um, and before this game, I did watch the quarterfinals. So let's not forget, like last in last season, um, Connacht knocked Ulster out in the quarterfinals up in Ravenhill, you know, which which was a massive result. And and the the way Connacht won that game was at the breakdown, the amount of turnovers. That's when I think you know Seamus Hurley Langton really made a name for himself. He won so many turnovers. Connor Oliver was brilliant in that game. Um. And then I think that was like it was interesting listening to the Ulster coach Dan McFarland before this game saying that 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 was definitely an area that they lost against Connacht. That was an area they were going to target in this game, and that's exactly what unfolded. Uh, Ulster were definitely on top um, at the breakdown, especially for that for that first half. They won numerous turnovers. Connacht, you know, had a couple of sloppy plays. They didn't hold on to the ball that well. Um, but it, a lot of that was down to a really strong Ulster defence and they dominated that that breakdown. And unfortunately, Seamus Hurley Langton, he went off after about a minute or two um, with a head knock. Thankfully, he looks OK. He seems to be passing all the tests since then. Um, so I think I think his, you know, his lack of presence was missed uh, and not just in terms of, you know, winning turnovers, but in terms of, of Connacht retaining the ball. And also he's a really strong um, ball carrier. So. Yeah, look, it was good to see Connacht come back. Uh, first start for Jack Carty. Um, he had a yep, that. pretty okay game. Yeah, like he he smashed. But JJ's out, kick. isn't he? Yeah, it looks like that injury isn't too serious though. Um, so it'd be interesting to see when they're both fit who starts. Um, I know for the opening game of the season they were both fit and, and JJ got the nod. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. But Carty overall he had a good, a decent game. He he did miss a very very kickable um kick towards the end that could have cost them but then I don't know if you saw the clip he absolutely made up for it and and kicked a beautiful um cross field kick um to win it really um so I think he he overall had had, had a decent game and yeah I just I, I can't watch Connacht games and review them without just giving praise again for the centers I know you're probably sick of hearing me but Carl Ford this young Guy he scored again. He was absolutely brilliant. And Tom Farrell next to him again for me. He's one of their standout players. He had a great game. Blade as usual had a, a really strong game. Some lovely breaks. Uh, did pick up an injury, but it looks like uh, it isn't too serious. Um, and one thing I just want to highlight as well: Connacht's lineout is really good. Um, 
they're winning a lot of their own ball and they're disrupting so much ball. Like they're just they're just really enjoyable to watch. And finally, one thing I would like to say is, and I don't know if you might have heard, you might have heard this, but um, Sexton's brother is involved. Um, I heard the there was, the, I heard the the comms say that the Sexton name, and I assumed it was just a coincidence. Yeah, it's it's Sexton's brother, Mark Sexton, and he's the assistant attack coach. Um, so if you look at Connacht's attack, it is really exciting. They do run some really nice lines. They play tight. They play wide. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's just an interesting kind of uh, like I hadn't heard much about him at all. I don't think many people had. Um, but he's been given a lot of praise for, for Connacht's attack so far um, this season. So, yeah, definitely a name to, to keep an eye out for. Certainly. I um, uh, Just quickly on, on Rugby Brothers, Sam Warburton has got an identical twin who was a physio at Cardiff. So Sam was playing for Cardiff and his twin brother, Ben, would come on and treat him. And so people would be like, I'm seeing double here, man. <laughs> what, what's happening? But Ben is now a physio at the Scarlets. So th- I think there's a, a lot of double takes happening <laughs> going on for us. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, kind of, yeah, three from three. So we'll see. They've, they've got a couple of um, tough fixtures now. They're going to be away from home for a couple of weeks. They've got Edinburgh away this coming weekend. Um, so that should that that should be a really good test to see where they're really at. Leinster. Uh, yeah, sorry, just back. on just sorry, just on Ulster before we leave. So I was watching the highlights of it, and I couldn't help but notice how young that Ulster team looked. Just yeah. it, it looks like kids in some of the positions. Like I think they're ten, looks about fifteen years old. Is that is it a new team for them? Are they dealing with something? Yeah, I suppose I should have added that context. Like they did have literally 20 players unavailable for this game. And listening to Dan McFarland speak before and after the game, he did say that they were always going to rotate for this game. Um, like Dave Shanahan at Scrum Half, that was his first start um, at Scrum Half since 2021, um, which is a bit of a mad um, stat. But they do have a six-day turnaround. They've got Munster at home um, in Raven Hill on Friday. Um, that's looking like a sellout, by the way. So obviously there there are a couple of factors there, but no, that 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 ten he is young, but he's actually a monster player. He's a former monster player, uh, Jake Flannery. Um, he's still in his early twenties. Uh, to be honest, he probably would have been man of the match if Connacht hadn't come back. He, he played really well. Um, and he spoke. I listened to an interview that he did after the game as well. He spoke very well, and he was very honest. Like he did make a mistake. Um, like Cal Ford did run in. Like he, he ran a nice line off a lineup, but he probably shouldn't have run in so easy. And and Flannery did was very open about that after the game and saying he, he should have had that. But yeah, he, he's actually a, a former Munster player. Um, Billy Burns was on the bench. He did come on for a bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that that's it. Twenty players unavailable, and they they were always going to to rotate. Yeah. And um, uh, but uh, but Ulster were. Let's not. Yeah, I don't want to take that away. Like Ulster were excellent as well. And again, they they absolutely dominated that 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 the breakdown for about fifty minutes. Yeah, it seems to be a thing because the Dragons put out a story the other day as well about having 20 players unavailable, whether that was through Wales call-ups or injuries and things. And the Scarlets have a have an annual story that comes out about having 20 players unavailable. I don't think Cardiff Rugby currently employ 20 players. Uh, so is this a is the I wonder if this is like a, a a meeting of storms here where you've got players coming back from the World Cup, they're either picked up a knock and they were carrying a knock through that. Or they were putting off a surgery in order to play in it, or you got the players who stayed at the clubs and then they had a really long preseason, a really long break between games, and then not proper warm-up games, and then straight into the season. I wonder if that, those two things are just leading to injuries galore all over the place. Yeah, I think you could you could be right, and like I haven't seen enough of the stats to suggest you know. Otherwise, um, it could like we like with all these things, it's just bad luck as well, isn't it? Um, I saw a really interesting tweet a while ago though. Um, it might have been Progressive Rugby tweeted like Harlequins have obviously, I think it's well known now they do very very little contact training, um, and their injuries have plummeted. Like they've so many more, especially last season, they had so many more players available for longer because there were less injuries. So like I, I'm sure there are so many different factors in that. Um, you know, they talk about, you know, those 4G pitches being bad for injuries. Um, yeah, so who's just, had a 4G, who's just had a 4G put in? Ulster. Is it you? Ulster. But then you're oh, looking at Connacht, though, and Connacht have that. And, like, 
Now, Connick do have some injuries, but nothing near like um, what Ulster's list is like at the moment. So, like, I think you'd have to do a lot more research into those into those what we call them plastic pitches to see if yeah, because um, they're quite they common. Yeah, but I have heard one of the, one of the studies is there are less injuries, but of the injuries that do occur, they are more serious. So that's like definitely and, one of the studies that, that I heard. Yeah. Um, it's like knees and ankles. I think, like when people land or twist, the, the boot gets caught a bit more easily or something. Yeah. And I was listening to Dobson as well before the Stormers game against Glasgow. And he said that they really like it was their first time, I think, for a lot of those players even playing on a 4G pitch. And they really learned a lesson against Glasgow. Like they were not used to that pitch. And they, they, he, like Dobson said, one of the reasons they, they lost by so many points was because they were not used to that fast track. And yeah, exactly. In terms of how just you, you connect with the with the ground, it sounds really strange. But yeah, the, there's a lot more give in grass and everything. So yeah, the, the, it's an interesting talking point. I'm sure we can discuss it on a later pod. But um, yeah, I think we definitely more research needed there. But yeah, so many teams, especially top 14 teams as well, are getting these pitches in um but yeah yeah and it's it's an it's an interesting area for sure what about Leinster then I cut you off in your prime there yeah look they got back to winning ways and on paper like I was a bit nervous uh with my predictor league like I did have them Leinster down to win but I was a bit nervous but then after about 15-20 minutes I wasn't like on paper for me this like that Edinburgh team was better the Leinster's team, they 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 should have done better, um, and they just simply didn't. Leinster just, you know, the conveyor belt just keeps you know spitting out these unbelievable talents, um, and they just played really well. I think, um, Edinburgh, yeah, were just not there for me. I I don't so know. So they if, had if, Kinghorn playing. They did, like they had a very strong team out, um, which was frustrating. And they they yeah they Ben Healy at ten former uh, Munster player. Um, but they just, yeah, they weren't there for me. The confidence wasn't there. Um, and it was, yeah, business as usual um, so, for Leinster. Stat for you on Ben Healy. He is kicked 1.009 kilometres in three games. That's his, wow. that's his total kick distance. He is obviously top in the URC stats for that. And that, that kind of, we knew he had a long boot, but like, I think he's going to, I think he's going to take the mick this season with how far he's going to kick. <laughs> Um, because obviously, like, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of change in Leinster. We we discussed this in our last pod, so, and they did lose their their opening game, but it does feel like they're 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 finding their groove again. And obviously, they've got Nina Bear to to, to come in now, and, so and who knows? That's a good opportunity to jump to our listeners' questions. So, well, no, we'll jump to this particular one. We'll come back to the rest of them later. So a question from Miles on Twitter. So we tweeted out before the show, any questions for us? And guys, if you want to leave a comment below asking us a question, we'll bookmark it for ourselves and then answer it in the next show. If you want to DM us on, on Twitter or, I don't know, come and find me and tell me to my face, I suppose. That's OK as well. Um, so question from Miles. Uh, will uh, new neighbour hit new neighbour? Will Jack. Will Jack hit the ground running at Leinster and will they continue to dominate with him at the helm? Who knows? Like, for me, like, everything you hear about him um, is that he's he's absolutely excellent. Um, but, you know, like, I'm, I don't know if you saw that image from the, the Springboks coaching um, ticket, basically, during the, the World Cup final and, every like, all of the coaches are looking at Razzie and you can see Razzie's making all those calls and obviously yeah. it's been announced now that Razzie's going to take over the head coach role of the Springboks. So I, I, don't like, think I wonder, yeah, I so was really. it just a Razzie show the whole time? And like, I know Nina Bar when he was involved with Munster, he was involved with the defence and he, he got high praise for that. So I think like, I think he'd be an excellent fit. I think he's a, like, I, I'd say they paid some big bucks to get him in uh, and it could be what Leinster need because they, they, you know, they have a good defence, but do they need to take to that next level and, and have somebody like that come in? Like everybody was singing uh, Stuart Lancaster's praises, but, you know, ultimately they, they didn't make it last season, did they? They didn't get over the line against La Rochelle. And maybe it's the defence. Maybe that's the area they really need to focus on. And if it is, then Nina Bar is your, your guy, I think. Um, and obviously he's got built all this experience now and and and. 
you know, he does have strong connections, obviously, South Africa. So will we see some potentially South African players come over to, to Leinster? Like that, that's a real possibility. Like we've heard uh, this week that um, Michael Al-Altoa, the Simone international, um, is leaving uh, allegedly next season to a top 14. Like he's going to be a big loss. Will we see a South African come in here? That, that'd be interesting to see. But um, I think he, I think he'd be a good fit. I really do. And from all accounts, uh, what you hear about Leo Cullen, he's really good at, at stepping back and letting somebody come in. And like, it's so not the Leo, it's not the Leo Colin, show. He's happy. Is Cullen going upstairs or something? Um, so the way it worked uh, with with Len, with um, Stuart Lancaster was that Lancaster ran all of the training, and I think he did most of the attack and everything. But Leo kind of over, you know, he did all the media work. Um, he did a lot of work with the forwards. And apparently he had a massive say on uh, selection as well. So I do assume it's going to be the, the same. Um, yeah. So I think Nina Bar will be senior coach. I think that was, that was, um, yeah, that was the title previous anyway, was that, senior coach. And then Leo up, Cullen is head coach. Okay. I was so, looking up how Leinster set up the coaching ticket. And it's interesting. They don't say like forwards coach, backs coach or something. They just have Leo Cullen and then they have assistant coaches. And then they have someone like, Sean O'Brien, who was a specific coach for a specific area, but like Robin McBride, who was, I think, forwards coach for Wales, he's just down as an assistant coach, and you would assume that he is the forwards coach, but that's not his official title. It's just assistant. So uh, it's interesting that Leinster doing it different, and I think bringing in this new person from outside is new ideas is always good. You've got to keep it fresh, and you are right that there are things that Leinster could improve on. Or having said that, with you know some of the retirements that they've had and with this new coach coming in, I do expect there to be a bit of a storming period where they have to figure it all out again and then they'll come back. So maybe they might have, I, you say a down season with Leinster as them like finishing third or something, but uh, they might drop down from their peak a little bit for a while and then I think they'll be back at it. Yeah, because they have the talent. Um, it just might take... Um... Jack, uh, that, that time to to yeah to enforce his, his views or whatnot or to get his his style of play across um or his message or whatnot. But yeah, it's it, it's I think it's a really smart move by Leinster. It really is. Um, talk about a high profile coach, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to to watch Leinster this season. Um, and that probably runs it up for the Irish team, certainly. But I know that you were watching, like, what other games this weekend stood out for you in terms of URC? Uh, I know I watched the Lions v Benetton uh, game in Treviso. You caught that game as well, didn't you? Probably I caught the second half take. of that. And I think the second half was the best bit of it to catch. A low scoring game, 15 points to 10. But it looked like a really intense game. I, we're, everyone's so excited about Benetton this, this season. I think Fekitoa got yeah. his first try for them. He did, yeah. And yeah, really a team to watch. They've got the they've got the checkbook out, and it's great to see them getting results with it as well. But the, the it was all about the final play in this game, wasn't it? It was all about that. You know, I likened it to the All Blacks versus Ireland in the quarterfinal of just it just kept going and going and going and going, well into the red, and Lions managed to force their way from deep within their own twenty-two up until. Benetton half, only for Lamoureux, the Italian captain, to step in and, and uh, turn the ball over. So it was, it was a great finish and a really high quality bit of play, wouldn't you say, mate? Yeah, and like the lines have been there, thereabouts in every game. Like I know we're only three games into the season, but I think before this game, they're average, like like they're they're losing by less than a score. Like it's they're really in there. They're they're not a bad side at all. And let's not forget, like they're they're playing away from home. I like um I I think they'll they'll finish mid table probably. They're they're not a bad team. They've got some really good players, especially Marius Lowe in the center. He is a fabulous player. Um, but yeah, Benetton. And you know what I liked about um the game as well was just seeing the crowd. Like Benetton, I liked it was again. A good crowd, I know wasn't we, it? Yeah, I know we spoke about the Scarlets um stadium. Like I think Benetton have done it really well as well. They haven't. They don't play in a massive stadium. They play in like a purpose-built rugby stadium that has two decent stands, and they seem to get a good atmosphere. And um, so I thought that was that was really positive as well. So obviously, um, the Treviso crowd are getting behind them, which I think is really good for the league, especially when we discussed about a bit of a drop-off in interest in rugby because everyone's rugbyed out after the World Cup. It, it is great to see a team like Benetton 
um, bring in all those superstars and also actually get a decent crowd in as well. Um, but yeah, it, it was a brilliant game. Um, and I forget who scored the winning try. Not the winning try, sorry, but the the try that got the Lions really back into it. He was the substitute. The, the replacement tight heads, yeah. Yeah, um, he is a he is a big boy. I really like to see him play. I think he's he's in his early twenties. I is he? The commentator I he was said like thirty six. <laughs> he's in his early twenties, and I did. The commentator said he was one hundred and fifty eight kgs. Now I did look up the official stats. He's down as one hundred and fifty three. He's a big lad. That's um, still I big. <laughs> that's still that's still big. Um, but like they're, they're scrum. See what the reason I think they're going to do well this season is that they have a solid set piece. Uh, which I think is so important. Like, I don't want to get too cliched. And I know you did your thread on, you know, spring, but everyone thinks the spring blocks are just massive forwards and we know they're not. Um, but traditionally spring box teams and South African teams have good uh, set piece, right? And that's certainly in the case with the Lions. And I think that's why they are where they are and that they're hanging in in those games and they will get some good victories this season. And um, it's because they have a really strong um, set piece. Yeah, um, They're, um, their South African co-patriots, compatriots, were in Zebra as well, or Palmer, I should say, as the Bulls beat Zebra. I think it ended 54-29, but with 10 minutes to go, it was 29-35, and Zebra had really come back into the game. So Zebra got a losing, well, sorry, a try bonus point in this game. Bulls, I've been tipping the Bulls to be amazing all this season, and they did pull away in the last 10 minutes with three tries, kind of the floodgates opened when I think Zebra realised that they had nothing left to play for. But yeah, again, mm-hmm. Zebra, there's a lot of people in Wales really worried about Zebra this season of like, yeah. oh, we might lose to these because they they look exciting. They're scoring tries. And yeah. yes, they're, they're letting some in, but eventually they will win a few games. I, I, yeah. I absolutely do not think that they will go the season winless. At all. Yeah, the, 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 they're going to have a big scalp this season, I think. Um, and yeah, I wasn't, I didn't tip the Bulls to, to put that highest score up on them. Um, but I think the Bulls, when you look at that Bulls team, especially that back row, it's not surprising that they, they had that big of a win. Um, but I think it's good for them because they were underwhelming last season. Uh, I don't want to move on without mentioning um, that Lions player. I feel bad. Um, but his name is Ata Bakanye, um, and he's 24 years old. Oh my um, goodness. But like he is going to be a great that player. That is a lot um, of cake to eat in 24 years. <laughs> yeah. So he is. Uh, I think he's going to be like again. Like he's really good in the scrum and he he makes some big tackles. I really like this player. Um. And they obviously the Lions. You know they carried Usadi. Uh. Was it two seasons ago? Then he went to the Sharks and now he's playing in the, in the top 14. Um. So it looks like he he's a decent backup there as well, which is good to see. And yeah, good to see young talent coming coming through. Um. There. I think that probably wraps up our URC review. Just Glasgow it? Stormers uh, was the only one. I think it finished 20 points to, to nine. It looks like a an exciting game. Glasgow, uh, again, like Edinburgh, playing their Scotland stars. Again, two of a lot who got a nice first phase try. Stormers went down to 13 at one point. But it was yep. a bit of argy-bargy. Uh, South Africans don't seem to be travelling well this season. Uh, I think it's one win in eight away games they've had so far this year cumulatively so you know maybe maybe a bit of hope for the rest of us because i don't see many of us going down there and getting a result yeah anyway um, shall we do some more listeners questions yeah let's do it okay i'm going to take the first one lee from the rap podcast asks what is the essential headwear for podcasters this winter the answer to that lee is bucket hats so i've got my one here but all seriously all kits manufacturers are doing bucket hats this season so um vx3 do this dragons one and nike do loads so nike do a really cool fiji one so you know the Mm. fiji change kits with the with the pink palm leaves and everything they do one like that and the nike for as much as i love their designs and i do all they do the same merch for every team they do so if you want like a bucket hat look just look on nike's website so bucket hats is the answer to that question uh next question i've asked you the one about leinster coaches right so other bit of obscure news that came out this week is that england a are playing a mm. game against portugal 
and it's during the Six Nations, and it's also during uh, the Rugby Europe Championship as well. It, it's in the midst of it all, so it must be in a down week of that. It's being played at the Twickenham Stoop, and uh, Nuno Madeira, hi Nuno, uh, writes in to asks us, what do we think of that, and do we think that it's the tier ones play, putting out A teams against the tier twos is something that we'll see a lot more of in the future. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, I don't think the timing is great, um, but I, like I think it is good that more people on this side of the world, like I know Portugal aren't far from from these aisles, but it's still good to like there will be interest in that game because it's England A. Um, and like a lot of those, most of those players, everybody will be, be familiar with. So I think that that's definitely a good thing. Um, it's just that the timing for me is poor. I didn't realise it was in that window. Um, but we all know um, that the rugby calendar is broken and that there's not enough space for enough games. Um, but yeah, I, I, it just feels like a bit of a, it's just meh. It just, that, that's what it is for me. I think it's grand, but like we want to see Portugal playing England's first side we don't want to see them playing in the A side but I think this is a step in the right direction and I don't exactly. think you know yeah th th that's what it is for me like we have to take the positive from that and maybe that's the le like maybe that's good from like maybe this is a good starting point um, and maybe yeah again as I said like maybe like I know it, it probably won't get the eyeballs but again there will be a lot of rugby chat they'll be more interested in rugby at that time during during the six stations so maybe there will be that actually a bit of interest um, and I don't know maybe maybe I'm being a bit daft there but like it's I'll, just like I'll you were saying like i'll certainly be very interested in it yeah so i think but, it's a it's a step in the right direction right what's your take uh i agree with you i would much rather see portugal play england proper than play an a team i think a lot of people are saying oh with the new nations league and things can can we field can the tier one nations field a teams or, or b or a teams or b teams second strings and go and talk the uh, tier two nations. And I think my answer to that is, well, firstly, the tier two championship is coming, so there'll be no space for that. We actually talked about this topic a little bit in our South America deep dive link in Popout Banner, um, where we talked about Argentina 15, so which is Argentine, Argentina's second string, and they do play against all of the other South American teams and a couple of others as well. And they lose quite regularly to Uruguay and beat the rest. And then you've got Australia A also played fixtures this summer as well, and obviously got the Maori All Blacks. So Australia A lost to Tonga, but beat Portugal. So that kind of gives you a, a, an idea of the level. What I would also say is, guys, don't big up in your minds how good the tier one second strings would be. Because if you think about it for a second, that game in this Portugal game in particular, Portugal will be coming into that. That will be it will be a huge game for them. It's their cup final, and it will be right in the middle of their rugby Europe campaign. So they'll be running hot. Whereas this will be an England team that will be thrown together, will have never played with each other before, and will probably never play together since. Also, bear in mind because it's during the Six Nations, it will be. The, the level of player that it will be, it will be 30-odd players in the England squad for the Six Nations. And then there might be another half a dozen players who would have been in that squad who would be injured. So you're probably realistically talking the 40th best player down in England. Now, England has a huge playing pool and that might, mightn't be so bad. But that, that is the kind of level that we're talking about. And like I said, it will be a very thrown-together team. Now, England... Countries like England and I think France, South Africa, obviously the All Blacks will be would be fine regardless. And I think Ireland, because of your structures you've got, could field a competitive B team. I, I was trying to think earlier who would be in Wales's A team if we did one. And you take out all the players who would be playing for the first squad, and it is literally like you are scratching your heads trying to think who would play for that team because we've got a crisis at fly half as it is at the moment. So you you are trying to, like, it wouldn't be a good team. And the, 
the question is, you know, if you look at how well Portugal performed in the World Cup, beating Fiji, and then you look at a team like Georgia, would England Saxons or whoever it would be definitely beat Georgia or would definitely beat Samoa? If you look at how close Samoa got to England's first team in the World Cup, I don't know, man. And I think Francisco Isaac mentioned it before about some things they've done in the past. I think if they they tried it and then the tier ones lost a couple of games, I think they would just pull the plug and they would go, oh, never mind about that and, and not do it because the optics for losing for the tier ones is just too bad. And I, I do believe that teams like particularly Georgia and Uruguay and Samoa, if they played the uh, the A teams of particularly like who who would play in Scotland's A team? Like where are they getting those players from? They've only got two pro sides. That that's kind of my point is I don't overestimate how good the tier one A teams would be because I think they would struggle to beat a lot of these tier two nations that are closing the gap on tier one. Yeah. Well, look, hopefully it's a, it's a, it's a step in the, in the right direction. Um, I'd be interesting. We'll have to get Francisco back on um, and get his take on this this whole situation now, and what next for for Portugal. Like we also those those clips that he shared of how how cracked some of the the fans went in Portugal when when they got home from the World Cup, which is great to see. That's what we want to see. Um, so we'll have to get we'll have to get him back on. Yeah, definitely. Right. Shall we talk a bit about our wrap-up of all of the other rugby that happened during the week, mate? So let's start with WXV. So it was just WXV1 that was remaining to be played. What do you think of WXV? Has it has it been a success or I don't want to call it a missed opportunity. What What's your take on it, mate? A step in the right direction again. It, it's investment in women's rugby. Um, it was shown on TV. I know it wasn't on a, a linear any linear channels, but hopefully that'll change next time round. It's a step in the right direction. Um, it, it was always going to be, I think, tough in in the inaugural season, and like uh, some of the some of the attendances didn't look great, did they? But I think it's it's it, it's a starting point. Let's take it from here. Let's get people more people knowing about rugby pass TV. What the hell it is? Let, let's try to get some linear broadcasters on board get more people talking about it but the timing as well like you know it's it was around the men's world cup timing so that was always going to affect you know viewing figures and attendance figures um uh, but yeah it's produced some pretty good rugby right like and, and the fact that we could like we, when we first started this poly we were complaining about the the lack of rugby coverage now we have it uh, on rugby pass tv so i think it's it's a step in the right direction what, what's your take yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. I like it whenever the women's game does something different, like doesn't just blindly follow the men's structures because we all believe the men's structures should be changed. So it's nice to see that the women's team have done that. And it does look like it was highly competitive. A lot of the games, particularly in WXV1, were very close and could have gone either way, particularly between New Zealand, Canada and France and Australia, all looked like they could all beat each other on any given day. So that was cool. I agree with you. I think holding it at the same time as the Men's World Cup wasn't the best. And I think October generally is a, would have been a bad month to hold it in. Also, um, having it in New Zealand when four of the six WXV1 teams were Northern Hemisphere based, I think was also a bit of an own goal. It meant like the big audiences in England and Wales and things were all asleep like when the games were on. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you dedicated enough to get up at 4 a.m. to watch it, fair play to you. But you know, when it's not even on proper TV, it's, it's on ITVX or something. I, like, you know, I can understand why some, maybe some people missed it. And I think the last thing I'd say is we have learned that a women's Six Nations team should not be in WXV3. I think we have learned that, that no lower than WXV2. I mean, even Scotland won that quite easily. Uh, I think, obviously, I don't know where Italy finished in it. But, oh, and finally, there was, I don't, I don't mean to go in on it because I, I really want to encourage it and things, but not that it needs for me to encourage it, but there being six teams in WXV1, but they only played three games. It's things like that that are just a bit, you know, it's like a little bit meh, like you say. Yeah. So um, give it give it a year's grace. It was the first time they tried it. Hopefully they'll take some learnings and then next time, 
it will be all the better for it. Exactly. Um, and then things in terms of the top 14, very interesting season, right? I don't know if you caught the the poll. Uh, it was Toulouse they were playing, wasn't it, uh, Sunday evening? That's right. So um, I didn't uh, know. So first thing I'll say is that um, uh, Jaminet, the fullback, I didn't realise that he played for Toulouse as well. I must have seen that at some point. I got a feeling like last season he played for someone else. But Toulouse have got Jaminet and Ramos, which just seems ridiculous. Like someone needs to step in there. Because they, they're both out-and-out out fullbacks. You're not playing one in a different position. But having said that, Toulouse lost to Poe. So Poe yeah. hold on to their top spot in the top 14, beating the champions. So the champions didn't have all of their big players back. Poe have made some big signings. I think uh, Sam Whitelock is going there uh, yeah. this season. Uh, uh, yeah, and then they've really struggled in previous seasons. and They are. They're um, normally popping up the table. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure in typical French rugby fashion, I believe that all uh, away teams uh, lost. I think all, yeah, all, all teams who were playing away lost this weekend in the top That's 14. believable. Um, it was, it's, it's not a high try scoring league. Like, I, so regular listeners will be bored of hearing me saying it. People who think it's like super rugby, except in French, it's really not. It is the slowest, least attacking uh, league. It's really high quality, and you can tell that all the teams are fabulously well coached but it is not offloads, line breaks all over the place. It is attritional. Yeah. But Poe came out on top of this one. Uh, tell you someone who's not coming out on top of the moment. Uh, old Rogers, La Rochelle, currently fourth bottom, I think, in the league. They, they're they not doing well at all. They lost to, check in the notes, oh, you know. uh, 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 newly promoted Oyanak. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not going very well at the moment for them. So, Poe are currently top, but they are actually level on points with Stade Francais and Racing 92, the two Paris teams. Toulon brought back all of their big stars. So they had Duncan Payawa, they had Nyatha Levu back as well, and they had Dan Bigger back, but they still lost to Perpignan, another lowly team. That was Perpignan's first win of the season. I don't know if you saw, mate, the clip of Dan, ba- Dan Bigger's back. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it looked nasty. Yeah, not good, not good. Anyway, onto the Pro de Deux. Storty and Marquez, the Portuguese lads, uh, scored another couple of tries. Or, or sorry, Storty scored a couple of tries and Marquez were kicking the points. Marquez has looked really good. If you check out um, Pro de Deux SI de la Week, then Marquez really looks like he's playing some really nice rugby. And he's a bit of an older guy as well, but he really looks like he's tearing it up. Uh, Vaughn is still top pulling clear of Provence. I think they've got a pretty decent gap in the league now, so they'll be favourites for promotion at this stage. What about in England, mate? What's going on over there? Yeah, and the Prem, Exeter are on top after another win. Uh, this time they were playing against Bristol. Um, despite a hat-trick of Callum Sheedy assists, uh, a timely reminder of his talents uh, as the Welsh fly-off uh, cupboard starts to look bare. Um, Falcons are already bottom with zero wins. Um, Sarri has brought back their their England stars to claim a win over Tigers, and um, they were looking quite poor at the beginning of the season, so that was that was good to see from from a Saracens perspective. In the English Championship, Ealing stay top after a big win against Cambridge, um, one point ahead of Doncaster. In the Scottish Super Series, uh, there was a draw between Harriets and Knights, um, but Harriets stay top. Um, in the Energy. AIL in Ireland, uh, Clontarf are on top in Division 1A with four wins from four games. Uh, Lansdowne are in second. And I just wanted to touch on as well the uh, first weekend. We had the first weekend of the Rugby Europe Super Cup, which we briefly touched on last week. Um, so there were four games in total. Uh, Black Lion beat uh, the Iberians. Tel Aviv Heat beat uh, Lusitanos 31-23. The Brussels Devils beat Delta 41-12. And the Romanian uh, Wolves had a massive win over Bohemia, 76-7. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up the, the games. Just quickly, what uh, on the Rugby Super Cup, if you want to follow it and you don't know what team to support, tweet Francisco Isaac. And if you tell him your favourite alcoholic drink and your favourite cheese, he will tell you which Super Rugby te- your Super European Super, super Cup, cup. is most correct for you. So I told him mine and he said that I have to be a Black Lion fan, which I kind of rigged my answers to make sure that I was a Black Lion fan. Some people are Wolves fans. Wolves have got a crazy crest. It's got a wolf on it, which I don't think is 
a surprise, but the wolf is really angry. So just be be warned if you want to if you want to support them. <laughs> and obviously Tel Aviv being in it as well might be an eyebrow, eyebrow raiser to some based on what's going on in that part of the world. But it does appear that they are competing as per normal. So yeah. Yeah, that, pre that pretty much rounds up the, the results this weekend, folks, uh, from this weekend. And we will, I will publish the TV guide towards the end of the week. And we'll also have our mini breakfast show where I'll, I'll, I'll talk about some of the big games in that. But one thing I just wanted to, to briefly touch on before we finish up is the rugby tournament that starts this weekend. Uh, Hugh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was the first you heard of it when I, when I mentioned it on Twitter. So basically, um, there is a tournament starting this coming weekend. Now it's only over. It's only over two weekends. Um, did you get a chance to to look into this at all? Yeah, so I saw a story about it on Rugby America's uh, news, which is a great website. And the, uh, if you follow o America's Ovals on Twitter, that is that guy who does the website. It's a really fantastic website. Loads of great news stories on there, and it is. The so you would say probably the four best teams who didn't go to the World Cup. So the next World Cup, obviously, 24 teams. Now, it's unclear whether these four teams would be able to get those four spots because it involves Canada, USA and Brazil. And the likelihood is that all three of those would be going for the same America's qualification spot. So it's those three and Spain. Spain, obviously, we know didn't go to the World Cup because they had yet more eligibility issues. So they were disqualified. But yeah, so the, there's the two games. I can't remember who's playing who. Is Spain playing USA? Yeah, so so basically it's over two weekends. So it starts this Saturday. Um, so at 3 p.m. Irish and UK time, USA are taking on Brazil. And then 7 p.m. on Saturday, uh, Spain are taking on Canada. Uh, so the name of the tournament is La Villa International Rugby Cup. Um, I've seen very little about this in the media. Um, I've seen very little about it in terms of you know whether or not it's going to be broadcast but i happened to check my rugby pass tv app and it, it seems that both games are being shown and i've i i cannot find a single article about the broadcast rights online i don't know if you have so I, i'm trying to get people aware of this so it looks like we'll be able to watch both games again there's nothing official like the world rugby's website as far as i can see does not mention the broadcaster which is their very own rugby pass tv so look it's a, it's a good news story um, so, yeah, there there are two additional games on this weekend that probably a lot of people didn't, didn't know about. Yeah. So if you want to watch USA v Brazil or Spain v Canada or both, uh, check out Rugby Pass TV. It is free to sign up. Yeah, and it's good to see Brazil um, be somewhere that watchable because obviously most people don't get a chance to watch Brazil. And there will be all eyes on USA because they're obviously hosting a World Cup in the future. And I think... Part of the reason that we've gone to a 2014 World Cup is to make sure that USA qualify. So that, that that'll be something to watch. And they did have a decent summer. This summer just gone. They played a, a few games and got some good results. So I, I'll definitely be tuning into that. There's a little bit of confusion about the Spain team because obviously the Rugby Europe Super Cup is on and this clashes with that. So we're a little bit unsure as to what level of Spain team it's going to be, but we'll find out through watching it. So. This is why we play the games, because we don't know what's going to happen. So I think that that pretty much rounds it up for us uh, this week, folks. Um, thanks a million for tuning in. Hugh, any last words? Not from me, mate. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all our new subscribers. And don't forget about the Friday Breakfast Show. Thanks, everyone. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.